Hello, everyone, and welcome to United Teachers of Lowell's Straight Talk podcast. This is Amy Bisson here with Mickey Dumont. We are the hosts of this weekly podcast produced by and for members of the United Teachers of Lowell. In our weekly podcast, you'll hear about local, state, and national issues that affect our members. But you'll also hear about some of the accomplishments of our members, and we promise to keep you up to date with the news and decisions that impact all of us. As we turn the calendar to August and start to prepare for the coming 2019-2020 academic year, we welcome you to our second season of Straight Talk. Today, we are delighted to have as our first podcast guest, Dr. Joel Boyd, Lowell's new superintendent of schools. As most of you know, last May, the Lowell School Committee unanimously selected Dr. Boyd as our next superintendent. During Dr. Boyd's public interview, we heard, of course, about his professional experience, but we also learned about his personal story and how his early experiences have influenced his passion as an educator. We've asked Dr. Boyd to chat with us today and to share a little of that backstory as a way of introducing him to you. So we welcome to his first and hopefully not his last Straight Talk podcast, Lowell Public Schools Superintendent, Dr. Joel Boyd. So welcome Dr. Boyd to Lowell. Uh, Thank this you. is our first opportunity from the UTL to speak to you. I know you spoke with our building reps earlier in the spring, and you told a, a really powerful story about your background and your, your childhood and how you came to education. I wonder if you would share that with us today. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for asking me to, to join you on this podcast. Uh, you know, I, I identify as a teacher first, so... Mm-hmm an opportunity to engage our teachers and engage our teachers in a way that they can access it on the limited free time and personal time that our sure. teachers have is, is just, an, just an honor, so thank you. So yeah, I, I often say I came into education uh, a little bit differently than, than I found that most of our colleague teachers have found their way in, and often when people look at my resume, which when you're interviewing and applying for superintendent you know a lot of people look at your resume they sure do (laughs) certainly in this era of the internet uh, everybody's got access to those things that are that are published about you formally and and people often draw the wrong conclusion about who I am and how I I got into the field so growing up I was one of four children in a single parent household Uh, my father left the family when I was 12 years old, uh, not a amicable divorce. It was one day he was there, the next day he wasn't. And my family struggled with money, and I struggled in school. Primarily, primarily behavior, but behavior, as any teacher knows, often then gets in the way of academics. So academically and behaviorally, uh, certainly in middle school, I wasn't not on a path to college or uh, really any type of career. I mean, it wasn't until high school when I had the opportunity to engage with a, a Hall of Fame wrestling coach who just happened to be the wrestling coach at uh, my high school. I grew up in Dover, Delaware, it's, uh, one of the smallest capital cities in the country, and there's only one high school. So just by chance that I was a wrestler, and he happened to be the wrestling coach, and he became that connection at school that my mother needed from home. And my mother was really engaged. Uh, she became a teacher later in life, and she saw education as being that foundational piece, but 
you know, I was just a child that, you know, even with a, a hero mother at home, I was not connecting in school. And my wrestling coach became that connection in school. And he literally took me by uh, by my neck and said he's not going to tolerate what I was showing in school. And, uh, you know, it wasn't smooth sailing from there. There were ups and downs and learning from your mistakes. And I was able to get myself and with really the support of my mother at home and my wrestling coach in school on a path to college. And when I got to college, you know, I looked back on those experiences and decided to become a teacher, uh, chose to become a middle school teacher because that was the area where I struggled most and yeah. uh, connecting most with the youngsters and the students who were also struggling, those mm-hmm. kids who, you know, we often say are at risk uh, yeah. now in this era of early warning indicators and at-risk identifiers, I probably would have met all of those as a kid had those metrics been in place and connecting with young people that were really struggling in school. So I became a, a teacher and a wrestling coach and uh, uh, you know, from there have uh, had the opportunity then to uh, become a middle school principal. Uh, I was an assistant principal first, then a middle school principal. I uh, say I've had every job in public education at this point uh, outside of bus driver and well, that can be arranged so don't say it too loud well uh, you know I, it was uh it took it takes such skill yeah, to to manage a, a classroom when it's still mm-hmm. that i can you know I, I i can only admire the work of our bus drivers to manage a classroom that's rolling at yeah, at 60 right. miles an hour yeah. down the road so i don't yeah so, you know so that I, I see my role better as supporting our you know bus drivers. I've worked in districts where our bus drivers were our, were our employees, and I've worked in districts such as this where they're contracted services. And, uh, you know, I think my, my place best is uh, in classrooms, uh, yeah. in classrooms, teaching our young people uh, in the principal's office, supporting our schools and our teachers, and in the superintendent's chair, supporting a district as a whole. I'll leave the, the bus driving to those individuals <laughs> yeah. who are expert at it. Exactly. <laughs> there is a so that's a little bit of, of my story. It's just been a story of, of struggle uh, early, uh, where on the shoulders of some really uh, uh, just heroic people who have been kind enough to share their successes with me and instill in me a level of, uh, of confidence out of that struggle that I find myself in opportunities to share those experiences with young people. There's a, a level of empathy that mm. really is necessary in teaching yeah. no matter what, but you you're coming to a district where there are kids who do struggle with mm-hmm. some of the same issues you did. And that, that having that empathy is going to be a very strong uh, help for them. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, you, you often, as, as I found, and you know, I, I, I find with a lot of teachers, you know, I say my path in has been a little different because I often mm-hmm. find teachers are saying, you know, they're, they, they're modeling this favorite teacher that they've had. Mm-hmm. I find that as being the most common story, at least that I hear from from teachers, you know, I had this great teacher and I always wanted to be like this great teacher. And certainly I could say that about my wrestling coach as being a great teacher, but it was, my lens in was about what could I do different that I didn't have. Uh, And I, one thing I often find as I talk with other teachers and principals is we always look for that fit and that connection when we're looking for those contexts in which we work. And for me, it's always been about, youngsters who are at risk, youngsters who are economically disadvantaged, mm-hmm. youngsters who are uh, facing a lot of odds uh, against them that society has created as odds and overcoming those odds and shifting those odds and tilting that table 
back in favor of our youngsters who may be perceived as disadvantaged. But I often tell the kids I mentor uh, and the young people I've had the honor of supporting that uh, those struggles and those things that others see as disadvantages, when we overcome them, they become advantages. Mm -hmm. They become strengths. It's a great perspective. Um, as we gear up for a new academic year, you know, there'll be a little nervousness because mm -hmm. there's a new superintendent. Mm -hmm. um, what is something you'd like our teachers and staff to know coming into this new year? I operate with uh, where I say norm number one is, is have fun and find joy in the work. Yeah. And, but at the same time, I know how difficult teaching is as a profession. Mm -hmm. And I know how demanding our young people can be. And it's very seldom that a young person such as myself coming up through the classroom will pull you aside and just say, hey, thank you for what you did today. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is our most trying young people who need our teachers the most. Uh, so what I would ask all of our teachers is have fun and look back on each day knowing that you made a difference and that even our most trying young people, while they may not be showing it with their words or actions today, somewhere down the road they may be given an interview as superintendent of schools. Mm -hmm. Thank you very, very much for sitting down with us. We know how busy this time of year is, especially when you're learning and, and getting used to the district and leaving your mark at the same time. Um, we hope you'll sit down with us again from time to time throughout the year and do a follow-up. Do a follow-up. Well, we can do that anytime. I've uh, actually said one of the biggest things I've learned, uh, one of the biggest things I learned in my last uh, superintendency is that this job is more than a four-year job. I see this as a 10-year as a job at least. Uh, there's a sign that's usually outside this door here uh, with the tenures of all the superintendents. Mm -hmm. And the longest tenure was 1933 to 1969. So with all of the anxiety that you mentioned earlier, with all of the change that this city has experienced, uh, I hope uh, and I plan and I know that what's needed is stability and continuity. So my goal here is not five years. I know it's going to take at least 10, but if I can beat that record of 36 years, that'll be a job well done. I may not be here to see that, but I wish you all the best. I'm plan I was planning to retire before taking this job at 75. Now I can't retire till 76 because uh -huh. I have to do 36 years. So, uh, so that's that's what I'm planning. That's what I'm planning to do. That's the that's what we're we're hoping to do. And I'm just so honored to to be here. So uh -huh. anything that I can do uh, to support this, getting the message out to our teachers, which it feels that you're doing so well. So thank you so much for. Well, thank you Doing very that, much. Thank you. Know. you. We appreciate it. We do appreciate thank it. Thank you. Mickey and I are deeply appreciative to Dr. Boyd for graciously taking time out to chat with us today. His personal story is one that many of our own students can relate to and, of course, serves as a model of the power of educators and school staff to turn around the path of any student. In our next podcast episode, we will continue our conversation with Dr. Boyd as we learn more about his career path. We know you will find this a uniquely interesting story, so be sure to watch for episode two next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We're thrilled to begin our second season of podcasts and hope that you enjoy what you hear.
We hope you'll also consider subscribing to the podcast using iTunes, Stitcher, or one of the other podcast aggregators. As always, we welcome your general comments and feedback. If you have suggestions for future podcast topics, or if you are aware of UTL members who might be willing to share their experiences and their expertise, please send us an email at utlstraighttalk, that's all one word, utlstraighttalk at gmail.com. Until next week, this is Amy Bisson with Mickey Dumont wishing you a great week.